that uh, when Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, when he records Jesus' baptism, after when he was about 30 years old, Jesus launches into ministry for three years before the crucifixion and resurrection. It's significant to me the words that Mark uses describing when Jesus went under the water uh, in the, the of baptism in the Jordan River. Mark says, and the heavens ripped open. And the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. Why would he use such graphic language? Aggressive language. Yes, this was a benevolent invasion, but it was an invasion nonetheless. God invading his creation with intent. <laughs> uh, what we need to understand, I, 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 I enjoy the movies too. We'll probably watch another one. <laughs> but for these next four Sundays, I, I want to march us through Scripture, hopefully in a way that will give us a little better more complete grasp on the magnitude of what happened. We need to understand something right up front, and this may be a bit too philosophical or theological for you, but from the, a biblical perspective, time, past, present, future, all that, you know, time, time is a technical term uh, describing time from a biblical perspective is that time is teleological. Have you ever heard that term? Teleological. What that means is time had a, had a beginning and it will have an end. It is not just a never-ending cycle of repeating occurrences as secular humanism would try and uh, help us to have us believe today. You know, history just repeats itself. Why even try? No. In God's economy, God created time. There was something before time. When did time start? When? When God created what? How do we measure time? The rotation, the revolving, the rotation of the earth, that's a 24 hour period, and the rotation of the earth around the sun, 365 of those 24 hour periods. It was on the fourth day of creation that God created the sun and the moon and the stars. It was at that point that this rotation, that time, actually began. But there was something before time. We'll see that in a moment. But what we need to understand is God is very purposeful in time. Time has a beginning and an end, and there is a purpose 
for time. There is a goal for time. Time will end. <laughs> and it'll end in a very specific way, specific place, and specific things will happen. There is a goal. You and I are not the victims of some fickle fate, rotating, endless cycle of time. No. We are part of time that God started and he will call to an end and part of time in which he has a plan and he's working it right now in your life. Now, this morning, I want to uh, couch our consideration of Christmas in, in several questions. First question. Does God reveal anything to us about what happened before time? Especially regarding Christmas. Yes. First Peter. First Peter chapter one, verses eighteen to twenty. Let me let me read them for you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. First Peter chapter one, verses eighteen to twenty. This is what the Holy Spirit revealed to the Apostle Peter. Peter says this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not in mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Now hear this. God chose him. Second person of the Trinity, we know him as Jesus. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to us in these last days. Before God created anything, including time. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, apparently had a conflict. Alright, we're going to create a world, a cosmos. It will have physical reality. It will be inhabited by people that we create in our image. Part of that image will be the, the ability to say yes or no to an ongoing intimate relationship with us. And God is, because God created time, remember he stands out of time, he is eternal. He was before time began, he will be before, he will be after time ends. And so God knew that his created in his own image children would choose to spit in his face. And so before he created anybody or anything, he wove into the fabric of time a plan to bring you and me back into relationship with himself. Time has a purpose. Nothing catches God by surprise. We've talked a lot about this. 
God is working a plan. And that plan, he said, in motion, he established before he created anything. Does God say anything about what happened before he created time? Yeah. <laughs> because I love, that's who I am. And the ones I create will be in my own image and I will love them as I love myself. I'm going to make a way for them even though they rebel against me. Yeah. And that was Jesus. So before time began, God formulated what we know as Christmas. Another question. Between creation and the beginning, or the beginning of time, if you will, before creation or the beginning of time, Did God give us any clues of what Christmas was going to look like? Yes, of course he did. The very first clue is in Genesis chapter 3. I think I've mentioned it to you before. Probably none of the scriptures we look at today are new to you. But don't let that, don't say, okay, been there, done that, got that. Let's try and look from a di bit different perspective. Try and understand it in a bit different way. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Theologians call it the proto-evangelium. That's a Latin term. Proto means first. Evangelium means good news. So the very first mention of the good news that God was going to do something about man's rebellion happened in Genesis chapter 3. This was right after both Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, do their own thing, and experience separation for the first time between themselves and himself. Genesis chapter 3, verse, 10, verse 15. God is talking to Satan here. The tempter. And he says this, And I, God, will cause hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, looking forward to Eve, and between your offspring, the demons, the other fallen angels, and her offspring, the Messiah, Jesus. He, the Messiah, will strike your head Metaphorically referring, he'll destroy you. And you will strike his heel. Metaphorically, you'll slow him down. <laughs> but you can't stop him. That's the very first mention of Christmas in Scripture. Let's go to another one. God was not silent during between creation and when Jesus came between creation and Christmas. He was not silent about what he was going to do. 
Again, very well-known portion to you. In fact, one of the songs we sang this morning came directly from this portion, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what do we see here? What foreshadowing, if you will, of Christmas do we see here? Well, there's going to be a virgin, and she will be caused to conceive. And the resultant child, according to this, will be both male, the man, and God. Hmm. So let's fast forward. When in time, we've been looking at before time, now we're looking at in time. When in time did God fulfill these promises? Well, of course, that's what we know as Christmas. Let me take you to one verse in the New Testament that just illuminates this whole thing. Again, very well-known verse. John chapter 1, verse 14. John says this, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, we, we need to dig into this a little bit. I hope you've memorized this verse at some point in your life. It's one of the most critical verses in understanding what God has done to reunite with you and me and all the Scripture. Let's look at it almost word for word. John says, and the Word became flesh. The Word. Why didn't he say, and Jesus? You've got to go back to the beginning of chapter 1 of John. John is very theological in his perspective. Theological means he, his ultimate goal in describing Jesus' three years of ministry. Interestingly, John does not describe Christmas. You aware of that? Mark and John say nothing about it. explicitly. You have to go back to the first four verses of of John, the first chapter of John, and, and he describes this word. What is this word? And he says, in the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was God. And he continues on and describes this word. Why would he use... The word why we know that he's talking about Jesus. Why wouldn't he say Jesus? He was talking to John was writing to uh, the Greek world. He was not writing to Jews. He was writing to the Gentile mind, which would mean he's writing much more intentionally to you and me than he is to the the birth Jews. Okay. 
didn't have the Jewish background, understanding of Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. Didn't they? The, the, the Gentiles, the Greeks, didn't have that understanding. They hadn't been taught to look forward to this Messiah all their lives. And so when John begins to describe Jesus, he uses the term word, which of course, as you know, is the Greek word logos. What does that mean? In Greek thought, logos was the embodiment of all that is absolutely true. That's the logos. And so John says, in the beginning was the embodiment of all that is true. And then he says in verse 14, there was a time when that logos everything that is true stepped into time. The Word became flesh, became human. The New Living Translation renders it. The literal word is took on carne. Carne asada? Meat. Okay? Took on human meat. The Word became something that He was not before that moment. The Word, up until the moment of conception, was Spirit. God was Spirit. And when Mary's egg was fertilized, God became meat. Hmm. How did he become human? The Spirit of God, we're told, quote, hovered over the virgin girl Mary. Luke renders it that way. Just as he, the Holy Spirit, hovered over the unformed substance of the earth, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Same words. God hovered, the Holy Spirit hovered over this virgin girl, whom we know today in all of our medical expertise had as many eggs in her womb as she would ever have. And God's Holy Spirit caused one of those eggs to be fertilized. <laughs> Am I offending you? Am I getting too graphic about God here? This is Jesus. So what, what God had to do in order to, to do what He wanted to do for you and me. <clears throat> Fully human. And at the same time, fully God. Next phrase is, and this word who became human made his home among us. The words literally say, and he pitched his tent among us. He came to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. This is the ultimate in relational communication. Does it frustrate you today 
that your grandkids and great-grandkids way too often the most intimate conversation they have is electronic. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Texts, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Why does it bother you? Part of it, part of the reason it bothers you and bothers me is because we don't understand it very well. <laughs> they were born with it. It's part of the, <laughs> virtually part of their DNA. But the main reason to be upset by it is true communication cannot happen electronically. Can't. How many times have you received a text and you said, man, I wish I could, I could have seen his or her face when she was texting that. You see, the, the most effective way of communication is face to face. I hope this doesn't offend you, but I'm going to make a re recommendation to you. You need to go see the Mr. Rogers movie. I'm serious. It's one of the best, most profound, one of the best done, most best written, but most profoundly helpful movies I have seen in years. And this is not explicitly Christian, but I tell you what it is, you couldn't get more implicitly Christian. Have any of you seen it? Powerful movie. And what's powerful about it is the fact that this very real guy we called Mr. Rogers, he was no different off screen than he was on screen. And what made him powerful was he was one-on-one, -on -one, face to face, eye to eye, kids, children. And it was transforming to The most effective communication is face-to-face. -face. Jesus pitched his tent among us. He walked among us. <laughs> John goes on to say that he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Do you remember? You probably don't. My very first Sunday with you. I took you to a, a word that's used throughout Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, it's, it's hesed. That's the, Greek, uh, the uh, Hebrew word for it. It's the kind of love that Hosea had for Gomer. She cheated on him. She had children out of wedlock on him. And what did he do? He went and bought her back, literally, paid her ransom from her slavery, chose to love her. Now, of course, God had that recorded for us because he wants us to understand that's how he loves you. That's how he loves me. Here John says, that's the way this one who came, the Word, the embodiment of truth. 
came in face to face. He loved without condition. Regardless of merit, he loved. He said we've seen his glory. Obviously, John was writing later, after the resurrection. He was looking back as one of the disciples and remembering how he literally witnessed the glory of God in Jesus. Several, several occurrences listed for us in Scripture. Some of the most graphic to me are when there was one time when the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have been there. I don't know whether a storm blew up suddenly there when you were there, but one of the characteristics of that basin in which the uh, Sea of Galilee lay is that storms can happen almost instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And you can go from a flat glass mirror finish to 10 foot waves in a matter of minutes. Jesus and his disciples were caught in one of those. And his disciples were freaking out. You remember the story? What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. They had to go roust him and say, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to go down. I love the, the King James and Jesus rebuked the wind. <laughs> and it stopped. Do you remember the response of the disciples? Who is this guy? Can you imagine your response if you would have been there? If, if you would have been in the middle of the storm this last week down in Tucson, thank the Lord we didn't get snow and ice. I'm sorry, I know it was beautiful, but I've had enough of that. Don't need to go there. Don't need to do that anymore. But in Tucson, it was wind and rain. And we actually had two tornadoes in Tucson. Can you imagine in the middle of Somebody standing up and saying, stop, and it did. Hmm. Who is this guy? They're saying. At another time, they see him, the disciples see him raise this little girl that was dead, breathe life into her. Who is this guy? We saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of God. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, John, Jesus very intentionally takes them up on this mountain to be with Him. And then He walks away a little ways. And the Shekinah glory of God falls on Him. Cloud. They can't hardly see Him. And then the cloud clears enough and they recognize, I don't know how they recognize, but they recognize Moses and Elijah. 
I don't know if the Holy Spirit said, guys, do you have any clue who that is? That's Moses and Elijah. I don't know if he did that or they just knew. But the glory, the visible presence of God, they had seen it. And it was a result of Jesus. And then, of course, His resurrection and ascension. We have seen His glory. This Word who became flesh. In the last phrase of the verse, the Father's one and only Son, the only begotten of the Father. Absolute uniqueness of his sonship in the flesh. His father was God. We, we celebrate Christmas as one day. Now, our season, you know, it used to be just December or from Thanksgiving on. Now it's basically. Apparently, uh, commercially, it starts as soon as the last piece of Halloween candy is sold. <laughs> so we celebrate a season, a period of time. The reality is, God invaded human history. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us at a specific point. We don't know. We're, we're going to address this uh, later on on one of the Sundays here this month. When in the world was Christmas actually? Was it December 25th? We're going to, we're going to look at, the, at, at the, the particulars of that and some of the options. Okay, We don't know for sure when it was, but we do know this. It was a specific moment in time that God took on human flesh. And the world changed forever. Yeah. <clears throat> and it became possible for you and me to have a relationship with the one who created us. It became possible for you and me to be transformed from the inside out. We don't have to be victims any longer. We're victors. Amen. Hallelujah. Because of the Word. Yes. A real moment in time. A moment in time that all time before it anticipated. A moment in time that after all time after it ponders that. That's what we're doing right now. A moment in time that eternity will celebrate. It'll be real interesting after it's all done. And we're with God. Amen. New heaven and new earth. <laughs> Time basically will be no more. There will be no more sun. You, do you understand that in Scripture? Why? Because God provides the light. So that's kind of an insinuation that time will be no more. There will be no more cyclical day-night thing. And then we will look back from eternity <laughs> at that moment in time 
that made what we're experiencing then possible. My question to you is, right now, in time, are you looking back intentionally and allowing the God who created you and did all of this for you to help you experience and own what he's making available to you? Let's pray. Father, Christmas. Thank you for the plan, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that you compiled before you chose to create anything or anyone. Thank you for the love that that testifies to. You created us because you are love, and love happens in relationship, and you wanted a relationship with your creation. You didn't want to just create it. That's why you created us in your image, so that we could enjoy your relationship. And then it all went south. And today we still struggle under the weight of that brokenness. so grateful that you did whatever it took. You knew what it was going to take so you, you, you developed a plan to make it happen to make it possible for us to be reunited with you. It's Christmas. Thank you Father. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Holy Spirit for living inside of us right now. Holy Spirit, would you loosen the shackles on our minds, on our ability to comprehend, to truly enter into this intimate relationship with yourself. Holy Spirit, thank you. Continue to remove the shackles from our mind's eye and our heart's openness during these days. We love you. But we're beginning to understand that we can love you more completely, but not on our own. We've got to have your help. So we're open to it, and we want it all. Jesus, we want it all. And you're the only one who can make it possible. Thank you for invading time space. Thank you. All God's children said. Amen. Amen. I think it's very appropriate that we celebrate communion this morning. So we're going to do that. I'm going to invite you to come up as we do traditionally. Come with me please up here.
I, I think it's so appropriate that we begin our Advent celebration with communion. Because very literally, the cradle makes no sense without the cross. None. The baby didn't come to just give us nice, warm, cuddly homework moments. <laughs> the baby came to die. To pay the penalty for my sin and yours. And that's what we're remembering here this morning. see gluten-free here this morning. Do we have that? Do we have that this morning? Okay. You can either take a piece of bread and pass it around, or there is matzah, and if you prefer that, uh, we can pass that. There's matzah over here, in case anybody accepted by faith what this babe who became a man did for you on the cross. Take, eat, and be grateful.
represents the blood of Jesus, his very life, that which he came to give right from the beginning. And that's the only way that you and I can know today that our sins are forgiven. When we say yes to his offer of forgiveness, he doesn't just cover our sin or hide our weakness from himself. He forgives it. Takes it away. It's gone. If you know that your sins are forgiven today, take, drink, and be grateful. Oh, 
Christmas to you. And it's okay to tell that to somebody else this morning. You don't have to wait till Christmas Eve. And you don't have to say Happy Holidays. Amen. You can say Merry Christmas. So say it to somebody on your way out. God bless you. You're dismissed.
Good reading today. 